Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, you are listening to CBE's podcast, Mutuality Matters, the global impact of egalitarian theology and human flourishing. We are so honored to welcome Dr. Medine Mazunga-Keener, along with my co-host, Kimberly Dixon. Welcome. Hello. (laughs) Good to have you. Let me introduce Medine to you now. She holds a PhD from the University of Paris in History and is currently working in community formation, pastoral care, uh, coordinating all of this at Asbury Theological Seminary. Originally from the Congo, Brasiliaville, she has taught uh, French at Eastern University and continues to teach uh, French at Asbury University. Medine's PhD dissertation explored African-American women's history She has published various articles in the Dictionary of African Christian Biography, the African Study Bible, and other articles on women in Africa. Medine co-authored with her husband, Impossible Love, the true story of an African civil war, Miracles and Hope Against All Odds, a story of her war experience and she and Craig's romance. She has also co-authored Reconciliation for Africa, a booklet on ethnic reconciliation currently used in many countries in Africa. She's co-authored with Dr. Sue Russell, a Bible study booklet on loved women who found hope in healing in Jesus. Both a Francophone of Africa and in the U.S., she publicly shares her own experiences of war and reconciliation. Medine, we are so happy to have you here. And when I say here, we are in Atlanta at CBE's International Conference. And we have had the amazing opportunity to get to hear some of your rich uh, reflection at our keynote speaking. And so those who are listening to those podcasts who could not attend our conference, I was hoping you could summarize some of the keynote points for our listeners and maybe share with our listeners what most inspired your contribution. Okay. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I'm going to just summarize uh, what um, Craig and I talked about last night. My husband, Craig, talked about ethnic and gender unity in Ephesians. So he gave the the biblical uh, view of that, and I gave some illustrations. I'm going to share with the listeners one illustration that I gave last night. It's the story of a Catholic sister or a Catholic nun who saved the life of a young man. Uh, the nun was really uh, small. She was not as strong as the young man. They, were, they came from two different sides of the, of the war. And the young man was trapped in the wrong part of Brazzaville, which is the capital of Congo. Um, that's where I come from. And he didn't know how to save himself. He was hiding in his rented room. The Catholic sister got a glimpse of the young man and decided to go talk to him. She felt a nudge from the Lord to help this young man. Um, But she didn't know how she was going to solve the problem. Then an idea, an ingenious idea, came to her mind. 
I could carry him on my back to the safe part of the city. The only problem was that the nun was small and the young man was strong and heavy. Nevertheless, the nun spoke to the young, the young man soothingly and calmed his fears. Then she proposed a solution to which the young man considered risky and dangerous. Since he did not have another plan and was desperate to live, because you see, if he was discovered, he was a dead man. So he agreed to play the seriously ill nephew and climbed onto the nun's back. It was a long and perilous trek, and at every barricade, the nun told the same story. This is my nephew. He's very sick. I need to get him to the hospital. No young man in their right mind will climb onto a small woman's back. <laughs> so at the barricade, they really believed her story. When the nun got to a safe part of the city, where there was no fighting, she stopped and the young man climbed down, sobbing with gratitude. The nun went against gender barriers. She carried a grown man who was not part of her family on her back. She also broke the ethnic barrier by saving someone who was supposed to be her enemy by war dictates. So God gives us the ability to reach across gender, ethnic, race, and class barriers for his glory. Now, for the other question, my contribution, what was the inspiration? Well, my contribution was inspired by the plight of women and men who are obscured by life circumstances and whose voices, although silenced, but what they go through daily, rise up to God for justice and compassion. I have to say that I'm very grateful to CBE. I still remember the first time I was introduced to CBE by Craig because he signed me up to do a workshop. And I was <laughs> terrified. I was like, why did you do that? I don't know. I don't have anything to say. But the way I was welcomed and understood and embraced changed me. And I am so grateful for um, CBE for the work that they are doing. I also have to say that my contribution is actually the Lord, uh, the inspiration, because when I feel that nod saying, I think you should speak here, and then I say, yes, give me the strength. Amen. Oh, <laughs> wow. Wow. So that leads into a question I have for you, Medine, about the role of history, and particularly women's history, in shaping and forming our theological reflection. How... how can you share a few stories from history that demonstrate the crucial role history plays in how we know what we know? Mm -hmm. um, history reminds us that we're not alone in our life struggles. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says this, quote, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. End of quote. So looking at the lives of those who have gone before us helps me and helps us realize the value of each one of God's people and the importance to fight the good fight that God has for us. Let's take the example of Anne Atwater. Um, she became a single mother after her husband abandoned her and her two children. She fought for renters' right to keep their homes and have a decent housing in Durham, North Carolina, because she was in danger of being evicted so many times and the living conditions were not very good. Then she got involved in fighting against racial discrimination. 
Now, one thing that I really admire about Anne was that while advocating for social and racial equality, Anne made sure to cultivate her relationship with the Lord. She became the first female deacon in her church. Wow. Her social and racial activism brought her against Claiborne Paul Ellis, a white man, husband, father, struggling to make ends meet. Now, Ellis was also the exalted Cyclops, local leader of the KKK in Durham. Ellis hated blacks. He blamed them for the problems poor whites were facing. Ellis and Atwater actually hated each other. Yet, the two of them ended up chairing the Committee on School Desegregation in 1971. As they worked together, they realized that their situation was not different. It was not a race issue, but a class issue. As a result, Ellis became friends with Atwater. He quit the KKK, and even though both faced attacks and ridicule from their respective communities, their lifelong friendship was deepened by their common faith in the Lord Jesus. See, Ellis became a Christian too. Now, this incredible story, friendship story, teaches us not to give up when things are hard and with God's help to work for social justice and racial reconciliation or whatever cause God has put in our hearts. It also teaches us about one single mother's leadership in her community and her church that changed people's lives for eternity. Her courage is an example to me. Another example of history informing us and teaching us about women's value and leadership is the story of Miriam Ibrahim. As a student in France, I had two wonderful friends from the Sudan, one from the South, mostly blacks, and one from the North, mostly Arab. Although I heard the atrocities and um, other things that were going on in Sudan, I really value the friendship of both friends. And so I didn't have really a clear picture of the abuse. I just knew I had to pray for my friends for forgiveness and ethnic reconciliation for their country. About eight years ago, the story of Miriam Ibrahim made the news. Her father was a Sudanese Muslim who abandoned his family and her mother, an Ethiopian Christian who raised her children in the Christian faith. Mariam married a Christian American Sudanese in 2011. Mariam found herself jailed with her toddler while being pregnant. She was judged and condemned to death on charges of apostasy and adultery. Her marriage was not considered legal under Islamic law and the court ruled that she was Muslim because her father was Muslim. She suffered incredible, incredible atrocities in prison, including giving birth while being shackled. Mariam's case attracted the attention of the international community, and she was released in June 2014. The story of Mariam Ibrahim exposes the religious persecution of Christians in the Sudan and other Islamic governments. Unfortunately, her story doesn't end here. Mariam experienced domestic abuse in her land of refuge in the U.S. She compares her domestic abuse to prison. And again, she had to seek safety for her and her children. Mariam's story brings to the forefront religious and domestic persecution, and it encourages Christians, well, I put 
quote unquote with my hands, <laughs> encourages quote unquote Christians to join in the fight for freedom of religion and protection of married women. Her leadership teaches us that women are created in God's image, just like men. Can I give one more example? Yes. Okay. One last example to illustrate the point is the story of Mary Slessor. She's also known as the Queen of Calabar, and sometimes people call her the female Livingstone. She's still celebrated today by the women of Nigeria. Now, this Scottish woman dared to go into the Nigerian jungle where no man missionary will go. She was so in, she so impressed the chiefs in the villages by her courage that not only um, they let her stay in their villages, but they listened and even coveted her advice. Mary relentlessly saved those who were going to die, twin babies, people who would be killed at the death of the king, especially the wives. And she just lived with the Africans as one of them and boldly preached the gospel. She left a legacy of life, women's rights, and God's work in humans' hearts. Let me say that about two-thirds of missionaries in the 1800s were women. Some were married to missionaries, some were singles, like Mary Slessor. These women missionaries' lives and work clearly display God using women as well as men to spread the gospel. Those are all so many good stories. I could comment on each one. I just read uh, Mary Slessor's uh, book at the recommendation of Mimi when I took her class in I 2019. Wow. She is just this tiny little yes. frail woman who... She's the mama of so many African oh, women and twin babies. And, yes, yes, and she changed... She, she, they admired her so much that their cultures improved and the, like, the abuse went down. Yeah. So many things changed. It was just an amazing story. And God used that tiny woman to elevate the value of women in, I mean, in the culture of Nigeria and Africa. Yes. We all benefit from that. Yes. <laughs> and then your stories about um, this racial reconciliation, it reminds me a lot of Marisloff Wolf's book, mm. um, of, of Embrace. I can't remember Exclusion the full Exclusion and Embrace. Exclusion and Embrace. And the, about the importance, and you talked about it last night, of getting close where you can smell the sweat of the other person. <laughs> Proximity. That it's not just a polite. It's yes. getting in the face and loving these people as real people. And yes. that is the gospel and who Jesus is. Yes. Oh, and your stories just yeah. bring it to life. It's wonderful. So um, I'm, I'm going to follow up a little bit with Mimi's question. Mm -hmm. Because you're passionate about the Bible as mm -hmm. God's living voice to humanity in every age. Mm -hmm. So how has scripture shaped your work as a Christian passionate about women's equality in life and faith? So scripture shows me that God values women. He values all of his people. God values women. Jesus welcomed men and women alike as his disciples. We have the example of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet with the male disciples learning from the master. Deborah was a judge and a prophetess. Miriam was a prophetess. Halda played an important role in Israel um, as a prophetess. These women were leaders in their communities. I want to talk a little bit about Halda. In the time of King Josiah, the book of the law that was seen last during King Hezekiah's reign was found. 
And when King Josiah heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes and was very upset, just like his ancestor Hezekiah did. He sent people to go and consult God. This time, the people didn't go to Isaiah the prophet, but they went to Huldah the prophetess. Although there were other prophets at that time, I think Horiah was not murdered yet, and Jeremiah was still a boy. Huldah was the most prominent person of God, just like Isaiah was in the times of Ezekiah. So the king comes to her to seek God's face and seek God's will. Who was Huldah? Well, we know that she was a wife. Her husband had a government job. He was a guard of the wardrobe, probably the Levite wardrobe, which was a kind of government position. Now, being married, she had responsibilities toward her husband. Uh, we also know the things you have to do because you're a wife, right? Mm -hmm. Although they vary from one culture to another. In my culture, you're a wife. You have to take care of the children. You have to cook the food and so on. In other cultures, you do other things. Now, I don't know if she was a mother. I, the Bible doesn't say so. Um, if I assume that she was a mother, it means that she had added responsibilities, maybe like being a soccer mom today, something like that. Just wondering. <laughs> but one thing I know, Halda was a woman like me and you. And she was a woman of faith. She was a servant of the God of Israel. She was God's mouthpiece to his people. To be able to do that, she needed to spend time with God regularly. So Halda talked to and listened to God on a daily basis and then was able to serve, even give a harsh message, a message of judgment and condemnation to King Josiah. Because of her faith, Halda was unique. Women like Halda encouraged me to seek God first in what I do, to spend time daily with my father, to be secure in my uniqueness as a child of God. Learning more about God's heart in scripture impacts every aspect of my life. Beautiful, beautiful. In addition to scripture, Medine, what other mentors or models can you cite as guiding your life, inspiring you, and drawing you closer to Christ and your vocation? Ah. First of all, I have to say that the greatest mentors for me were my parents. My dad, Papa Jacques, was not ashamed of the gospel. He could talk about Jesus to whoever came to visit him. I remember when um, he got a job in another city, so it was a new city, and he came. The person who was responsible of the office heard about this Christian man coming, and he had, uh, like, animal heads. He was doing some type of witchcraft and so on. And my father walks into the office. He looked at them, and he said, in the name of Jesus, you are defeated. I was in awe. I was like, I want to be like him. <laughs> so, I mean, in preaching the gospel and serving Jesus and being devoted to the Lord, my father was an inspiration to me. But my mom's compassion and ministry of hospitality shaped me into the woman I am today. I know I love to cook, but I got that love from my mother. At some cost, you know, sometimes she said, you just sit here and look at me and pay attention. And then two days later, she'll say, you cook. I did a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Even to the extent that my dad had to go back to work hungry because the food was not good. But I learned and I am so grateful 
to them. But God, God also brought other people in my life, mentors that I didn't expect. One of them is a friend, my friend Julienne. She, God used me to be able to bring her back to the Lord. But her love and devotion to Jesus and community have been inspirational to me. She has been a mentor to me. And then my years as a student in France were blessed, really, because of my church family. Not only the word of God was expounded in all of its truth, but I experienced genuine love and relationships in different groups uh, I was a part of. My church in Wilmore, oh, that's what I call my American family. Mm -hmm. So I have been blessed. But God also used difficult experiences to propel me to speak out for him and to be the person I'm today. My life as a war refugee was one long, difficult period filled with struggles and growth. One of the biggest lessons God taught me uh, during war is this. Friendship with Jesus doesn't mean the absence of pain. God also taught me to lean on him at all times and to welcome the stranger in his name. Um, Medine, I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners some of the challenges you see among Christians who struggle with women's equality as a teaching of scripture, given the context where you have served over your life. Okay, I'm going to talk more about my African context. And one example is my own sister. Uh, Therese is a pastor, a retired pastor now in the Evangelical Church of Congo. Some of the challenges that my sister Therese experienced uh, as a woman pastor came from male pastors who did not believe in women's ability to shepherd God's people and teach the word. And I guess Therese had two things against her. She was single and she didn't have children. And so for some male pastors back in Africa, if you are single and you do not have any child, you do not count. Um, they considered you as if you are a child yourself. And it took Therese really God's grace and strength to continue to do God's will, to uh, minister to the people God has given her. And those people realized that Therese, even though she was not married and she's not married and doesn't have children, loves them as a shepherd that the Lord has called her to be. Another example is my friend Irene Kabite. Irene is from Zimbabwe and she was appointed the first female lead pastor to the inner city church in Harare. Harare wow. is the capital of Zimbabwe. And this was in the early 90s. She told me about the church's response when she first was appointed. So this is what she says. Quote, when I was appointed at the inner city church Harare, the people there wondered, how can a woman be a lead pastor? They said, we've been here for many years and we've never heard of a woman being a senior pastor. Some were angry. Others pretended that I was not there. Some greeted my husband as the pastor and called me ma'am. Yet a few people welcomed me. I encountered opposition mostly from men. After I preached my first sermon, I earned the respect of some men. It was not easy to break through those barriers of women being senior pastor over men. 
And the associate pastors were very upset to be getting instructions from a woman. It was hard. It was difficult. But thank God I was able to break through those barriers. End of quote. In both Therese and Irene's cases, men in the congregation learned women are as qualified and equally called by God to serve his people as men are. And they had to forego the cherished belief of women's inability to serve the church as well as men could. So Therese and Irene are examples of women breaking through those barriers. It's so much fun to hear about your friendships and all that you've learned through these wonderful women friends, your mother as well. Yeah. What a rich experience in life you've lived. I am wondering, as you take care of families through your pastoral care vocation, and as you lift up the gifts uh, of each family member, what have been some ways in which you've helped families and individuals use their gifts for God's glory, embrace mutuality in marriage, or any other issues that women may be struggling with in the church? Okay. Um, I'm going to talk, focus a little bit on the financial aspect in families, okay? So tradition and cultural practices play a big role in the way family members interact with one another. One example is how families handle finances. In some parts of Madagascar, for example, according to one of my friends from Antananarivo, a woman is supposed to hand over her salary to her husband, who then manages all the finances, giving his wife spending money. It's a big challenge to try to change men's, men's mindset on finances and invite them to give their wives the freedom to be good steward of the blessing God has bestowed upon them and accept to be equally looking at the family's finances and deciding to, together. Now, this is not only in Madagascar. My friend faced the same problem in Congo. When she had her first son, I mean, when she got married, she was giving money, her, fellow, uh, her salary, handing it over to her husband. When her first son was born, she had periods of hunger and difficulties mm -hmm. uh, since she didn't have the freedom to use her salary as she so fit. So she had to hand everything to her husband who gave her spending money mm -hmm. because the husband was, quote, unquote, the head of the household and made decisions for the whole family. I remember talking with her about the importance of being responsible with the gifts God has given her, including mm -hmm. her salary. I told her that she was to talk with her husband about making decisions together on how to spend their money and that both of them needed to contribute for the needs of the growing family, but also that she needed to stand firm in not handing her salary to her husband mm. anymore. Mm. So just that her husband had the freedom to use his salary as he so fit, she had the same freedom. It brought tension in the family, but she stood firm and was blessed to be able to better take care of herself and her children when her husband relented. I believe the church is called to teach families about the uniqueness uh, of each person and the contribution that male and female bring in their family and communities. Another example that's just coming to mind is the lady that we, know, we knew. She was married to a man at the church, and um, she was pregnant, and the man was just very brutal very violent, beating her. She came to the pastor and said, 
I'm really in a very bad situation here because my husband is very violent and this pregnancy is not going well. But the husband sent her home with the exhortation, women, you have to submit to your husband. Mm. And unfortunately, in this case, the husband beat her to death. So the wife and the child both died. And I think that it's so important to teach the church, um, especially in Africa, that we, are, we all come to God equally and we need to value one another equally, to respect one another and to walk together in, in peace as much as it depends on us. hard stories yeah. and good stories. Yeah. You have worked in several cultural contexts mm-hmm. as a woman leader and as an egalitarian. Can you comment on research from the UN that religion is often a primary barrier to women and girls receiving access to human resources for flourishing? Because this research also notes that faith actors are significant leaders in bringing needed change. Could you speak to this from your own experience? Mm -hmm. Let me start by taking the example of the LRA, the Lord uh, Army Resistance in Uganda. They came out of a person who said that she was hearing from God, and so that's like the leader. And this group, by going into places, killing people, abducting and kidnapping children to make them uh, soldiers, uh, turning these children into killing their own parents. That's what religion does. I'm talking about religion as a set of rules dictating dogmatic behavior. It's a powerful force that keeps human beings in bondage and doesn't promote equality between men and women. In that sense, religion contributes to gender, racial, and class oppression. But a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ empowers men and women to seek to free those who are captive and work for social justice. I have a couple of examples. (laughs) Halda Batain and her husband, Mark, founded the Calcutta Mercy Ministry, and they served the poor in India. After she became a widow in 18... No, sorry. In 1989, Halda, spurred by her faith in God, continued to serve the people of Calcutta. She became the senior pastor of the church and the chairwoman of the ministry. She didn't want to come back to the U.S. She wanted to continue to serve the people there, feeding the poor, providing education, building hospitals to help the sick. Religion did not prompt her to do that. Her faith and relationship with God, who created us, did it. Faith in God makes a difference in how we treat others. The more we get to know God's heart, the more we are led to display his character in our everyday life. Almost two centuries before Halda, in 1792, William Carey and his family went to India to share the good news of Jesus. I'm sure when he was going to India, he was maybe remembering the words that he said at the inauguration of his newly created missionary organization. He said, quote, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, end of quote. Carey experienced many difficulties, including losing a child and his wife's mental demise and extreme poverty. Yet he persevered and did great things for God. He translated the Bible in five major Indian languages. He fought the abolition of 
in okay of infanticide and widow burning or sati and he provided education for the people of India Halda and Kerry were faith actors who initiated change that benefit men and women one more example I cannot finish without talking about Africa, right? One example about Africa is the story of the African-American missionary, William Shepard. He was also known as the Black Livingston. In 1889, the Presbyterian Church of the United States commissioned him, but they could not commission him alone because he was African-American, so they commissioned him and Samuel Lapsley, who was white, um, to establish a mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And so uh, William and Samuel, they founded the American Presbyterian Congo Mission. After the death of Lapsley in 1892, William continued to serve alone until he was joined by other US missionaries. During Shepard's 20 years of service in Africa, the continent was plundered by outsiders for its rich natural resources. King Leopold II of Belgium, I think, at my, in, on my eyes, he is one of the most horrible colonialists. Mm -hmm. He had a domain in the Congo Free State, that's what it, was, it used to be called, then it became Zaire, then it became the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's not my Congo, but it's, you know, it's the uh, next Congo. So, Leopold were imposing a high tax on the local tribes. They had to pay the tax in bowls of rubber. Men were forced to gather rubber sap in the forest. If a man failed to meet the quota, his right hand might be cut off. The Belgian authorities discouraged farming and food gathering because such activities took time away from gathering rubber. Many people starved. William Morrison, another American missionary, was the first missionary to speak up against the abuse uh, that was being carried in the Cuba territory. He encouraged William Shepard um, to investigate. So Shepard went alone, armed only with a notebook and a camera. A mercenary tribe called the Zapozaps mistook Shepard for a representative of the traders and proudly gave him a guided tower. He saw grisly scenes, partially dismembered corpses, several hands, and human flesh cooking over a fire. The leader of the Zapozaps boasted of, of similarly destroying other towns. In January 1908, Shepard published an article on the situation in uh, Morrison's missionary newspaper that was called the Kasai Herald. He, was, he also criticized the supposedly, quote-unquote, civilized kingdom of Belgium for promoting and backing such atrocities. Mm -hmm. The Kasai Rubber Company sued Shepard and Morrison for libel. Charges against Morrison, who was a white man, were dropped. But in September 1909, Shepard, the African-American man, appeared in court with the support of 20 Cuba witnesses and a Belgian lawyer. Reports of the atrocities continued to leak out, and two American diplomats were sent by President William Howard Taft to offer their help. Shepard was acquitted, King Leopold was disgraced, and the Belgian parliament took control of the Congo Free Strait. Mm. By exposing the abuse of the Congo, William Shepard's actions 
brought in the needed change to free the people of the Democratic Republic of Congo from their then abuses. Faith actors implement positive change in the lives of the people they serve. What wonderful stories, thank you. We will be celebrating the power of Christ in their lives and we will follow their example. So when you think about the Holy Spirit working on very relevant issues related to race and gender, Medine, how can you uh, help us all to join in? Where do you see the Spirit working and where can we be part of that? Okay, now this is a very, I'll try my best to answer. <laughs> this is a very uh, difficult question. I think the Spirit of the Lord is at work um, wherever his children are open to what the Lord is saying. God wants to empower us as his children to further um, his kingdom and his glory. Um, I'm going to take an example of a lay person, um, a young woman in Congo. Uh, she has given her best to serving God in her small parish uh, in one of the villages in Congo. She labors in helping the widows and orphans, fighting for the pastor's right, and even using her own money to help people in need in the church. Her ministry shines so much that she has even been asked to represent the population in politics. Wow. Now, <laughs> this, and she's, she's actually considering it, wanting to do it, because she feels like if she can help the people in the villages get a better life, then she will give her all to do it. Mm -hmm. The Spirit of the Lord is at work in the world, and I believe that we are called to serve either locally or nationally the communities that we have. Thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned to the new episodes coming to you weekly from our incredible team of co-hosts. In the meantime, go to the show notes and learn how you can follow our guests and find links to organizations, books, and resources mentioned in their interview. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. Go to their website at www.cbeinternational.org for even more content and subscribe to their blog, magazine, and academic journal. Watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events and visit their bookstore where you can find talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I am Kimberly Dixon with Mimi Haddad. We would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the team at CBE International that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.